everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Feelings and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. As always, here with my co-host, Hall of Famer, Mr. Steve Flink. This is, uh, what, the first episode we've done since the last slam of the year. We took one year off. Um, obviously, one, Labor one Cup. One week. One week. What I say? One year? <laughs> yeah. I don't think one we week. take a year off. When I don't we see might. you, it feels like a year, Steve. That's how much I enjoy it. So. <laughs> One week off, and then uh, we had Labor Cup. Obviously, we had some interesting developments um, in Guadalajara as well. Um, congrats to Maria Sakari. And what a great week for uh, someone who's about 30 minutes away from where I currently live, Steve, from Hinsdale, Illinois, Caroline Dolhide. Great week for both Maria and Caroline. We're going to get into that. Um, but let's start with Labor Cup, Steve, uh, in Vancouver. I think we all knew that it was going to be very tough to even come remotely close to all the emotions and everything that happened uh, last year, not only with having the big four there, but uh, they were all there obviously for, for Roger Federer and um, the, the, the last match of his career. So it wasn't going to be like that um, team world with a route 13 to two. This is the second year in a row that they've won. I'll kind of leave it to you for your thoughts and we can kind of go through the, through the days if you want. Yeah, I would say David, that it it sounds, it just sounds kind of mundane when we we think of 13, two, and it was a route because team Europe only got one, one match in the three days, but I must say, having watched it all on television, it was surprisingly uh, exciting at times, especially the doubles. And I got a chance to watch Arthur Fees, the Frenchman, who was really quite remarkable. I hadn't seen much of him this year. Now I see why he climbed into the top 50, because he opened up against Ben Shelton. Terrific first set, which he lost in a breaker, and then he went down 6-1, and one, but good effort. And then we saw Sarundolo, Francisco Sarundolo de- defeated uh, Alejandro uh, <coughs> Davidovich Fokina, who had come from Davis Cup and didn't seem that well acclimated and lost in straight, but Tennis wasn't bad. And then we had the one kind of odd ball moment of the yes. week. It's always going to happen. And that was Monfils playing against FAA. And Gael tried hard up until the end of the first set. It seemed like he was competing hard and then kind of threw away his serve at 4 or 5. And he kind of just played an awful game as if he didn't care. Then had a love 40 opening early in the second, didn't take advantage of it, and played another really terrible game on his serve. And that pretty much settled it. He lost 4 and 3. But I think his teammates and the fans were a bit disappointed in him. And he was trying to say to his teammates, I, it's supposed to be about entertainment. But what I don't, I think what he didn't understand was, yes, it's a little looser and there's a lot more smiling. And so it, 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 it does set itself apart from even Davis Cup in that regard. But the players have always tried their hardest. And, and, and Monty's got the message when he came back to play doubles after that. But that was unfortunate because I think he kind of misconstrued and and I think everybody let him know that it was that it was wrong. And and he are you surprised and, that they count these in head to head? I don't think they should. I don't either. No, I don't either. I agree. But what I'm saying is they're staging it as a professional event. They don't want to be seen as an exhibition. And that's why I think the Labor Cup pushed for it. I didn't agree either. I would have preferred that they didn't they didn't count the results. But it that's what eventually happened. But even before they did that. You saw guys giving it 100% effort and, and treating it seriously. And it's not that Monfils would, was that way the entire time on the court against FAA, but at crucial moments he was. And he kind of 
let himself down a bit. And that was too bad because the, the tennis was quite good aside from a couple of those bad passages when Monfils was just not there mentally or physically. So then, so suddenly it, it, that's three points immediately for team world. Yeah. And let's then, stop. So for the listeners that don't know, Friday's matches count for one point, Saturdays are two and Sunday's three. So even if you're down big Sunday, you can still make up a lot of ground yeah. quickly, but yeah. that's the format. So <laughs> I'll let you continue now with team world up three, zero. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for clarifying on that. So then we, we got to the last match of Friday evening, very entertaining doubles. Tommy Paul joining Francis Tiafo to defeat uh, Rublev and Fees. And they won 10-6 in a, in a tie break. Uh, no, sorry, that one was Gale, actually. But but point is, it was a 10-6 third set tie break, a super tie break. Once again, though, the it's, it's, it's team world that prevails. So they got a four-zip lead going into the second day. Uh, with the four one-point wins. And then we go to the second date immediately. It's Taylor Fritz defeating Rublev. And a nice comeback from Taylor. He won the first set comfortably, went down 4-1 in the second, and then got it into a tiebreak and played an impeccable tiebreak. So that that that's that's now worth two points, increasing the lead for uh, Team World to, to 6-0. And then finally on the board for Team Europe because Kasper Ruud, who, as you know, has been something of a slump considerable slump since reaching the French Open final against Djokovic in June. He defeated Tommy Paul, and it was a well-played first set, a tiebreaker that went to, to Rudy, saved a set point in the tiebreak, and that ended up being critical, and he rolled through the second set 6-2. So they were on the board, but then Tiafo got Team World back on track again very quickly with a really first-rate performance, David, against Herkosh, 5-3. and three. Played really well, served ex- exceptionally well the whole match, and managed to start making good returns off Hubie's big first serve. So that got Team World back back going again. And then, and then we had Shelton join FAA to defeat Hubie and Monfils. This was Monfils, but this is Monfils' appearances. I'm confusing the first that he didn't play the first. This was his doubles appearance, which was five and four. And the big difference in Shelton and FAA's victory was that Monfils was a little shaky on the volley. He, he was trying hard, but he he was probably the most vulnerable player up at the net of the four by far. And I think that made a difference in a five and four win for team uh, world. So then, and, so I, then, and I think everyone saw the highlight with Shelton's return. That one return that he hit was just ridiculous, lightning fast for a Yeah, oh yes, yeah, it was. And just to clarify, that match on the first day was Tiafo and Paul in the doubles was against Rublev and Fees and and that was the one that went to the super tiebreak in the third. And then the end of the second day was Shelton and FAA or, or w- winning this one in straight sets. And uh, as I say, Monty's was the weak, weak, weak link on the court there, but it was a good, entertaining match. All the doubles were. So we go to the, that meant it was 10-2. 10 to so, 2, Steve. <laughs> yeah. So that meant today was. Uh, obviously it was going to be nearly impossible for team Europe to pull a comeback. Let, let me, let me stop you there for a second. Cause I even sexted and, and you, and, and I, I told you this earlier, the person who we do the end of the year segment with our good friend, David's code, him and his family were in Vancouver and was there um, for these three days. And I texted him on Saturday morning. If you looked at the matches on paper, even though after Friday, it was what four zero team world. If you looked at the matchups on paper, I could have said Team Europe could have dominated Saturday as opposed to Team uh, Team World doing. I mean, like, well, when you looked at the matchups, they're pretty even. They were even, yeah. They certainly, you would have thought, would have been in it. It would have been tight, and it wasn't at all. So then that really put 
the uh, team world put team world in a really advantageous position going into today. So sure enough, Tiafo and Shelton, who of course were the two heroes, I would say combined for team world because they each one were, were unbeaten in doubles and singles. They won they won their singles and then won a couple of doubles each. So they joined forces today. And they beat Rublev and Herkosh. And, and the Rublev-Herkosh team was pretty tough. It was a couple of tiebreakers. But Team World came through to win that one. And that, that clinched. It was 13-2. So they played an EXO later in the day just for the benefit of the fans. And Milos yeah. Raonic came out, which was nice for the fans in Vancouver. But the match meant nothing and really yeah, had nothing. Yeah, you, uh, you, if, if, you're, if you're spending some decent amount of money uh, for Sunday, you're, it's, it's a risk you're taking because these yeah. exhibition matches, they'll do it. But... Uh, yeah, you know you're guaranteed something good Friday and Saturday. Sunday, you could get an amazing day because everything could be on the line or the opposite of what happened today where it's basically done. It is done after the very first match. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, you know, in this case, the EXO was not not terrible and they got a chance to see Chris Eubanks in action and they got to see Milo, so it wasn't all bad. But, yeah, it's unfortunate and, and very unusual to have the first match of the last day decide it all and have everything be done. But I will say the fans were still pretty uh, exhilarated for the most part and very supportive of Team World, but polite to Team Europe. And the tennis overall was, it was pretty well played. And there were, there were some, some, some great moments out there across the three days. And I it think it I just think was, not think, David, the, oh, go ahead. sorry, the one thing I just want to add, just was not, as you know, the most glittering field that they've had. We think of all those past years, we've been spoiled because you mentioned last year with the big four, other Roger playing every year, you know, up through last year. Oh, he's always, he's, he's always there. And uh, I think he was injured once, but he came, he was participating year in and year out. And, and, and the, the, the sort of the central performer, Rafa, a couple of different years, Novak was there a couple of times, including last year. So, they had all these guys, Murray, as you mentioned. So it was a bit of a letdown not to have any of the real superstars. And then a few stars did pull out this year, like Sitsipas, uh, you know, who, um, who cited some kind of an injury. So they really was not the best deal. On the other hand, the guys were, that were there were happy to be there and put on a pretty good show. Of course. And yeah, you we're, we're basically thinking the same thing because I was just going to emphasize what, what you stated there that I think why this event has been so good is because of the star power that the fields have had. Right. And, and I was in, I was there in Chicago when they had it in the fall of 18, Novak and Roger played doubles together and they were playing. So yeah, the star power I think has really made that uh, made this event as big as it has been. And you think, you know, they asked Roger later about who he would like to see on team Europe next year. And he mentioned two individuals. That's Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz. And if he can get those two players, I mean, there's your star power right back at it for the following year. It's going to be difficult. I mean, they'll, they'll be fortunate to get one. The timing is not, is, not, is not great. It's tricky after the Open. Last year, everybody made a, a special effort. And in Djokovic's case, last year, he hadn't been, been permitted to play the Open because he hadn't taken the vaccine. So... He was a lot more rested and ready to go. And then Rafa made the special trip in to play the doubles. And that was unusual. If Roger's able to get one of the two, if they, if they manage to get both, no that's, that is some, no some accomplishment, I would no say. I would hope, again, I mean, it's been such a positive event and the top players have really enjoyed playing it. Um, Carlos has not had the opportunity to play it yet, I would think. 
if he was healthy enough to do it, he'd jump at the opportunity. But again, getting Novak to also play that event, I think that would get a, a huge boost to the event because the previous year, Steve, I mean, it's been top notch. And and personally, you know, when it was in Chicago, I didn't know Chicago is such a pro sports team oriented city. I didn't know how it would be. Um, they sold it out every session in Chicago. And this is now five years ago. And it's been like that everywhere it's been played. Um, I think you're right. This year, the star power was lacking a little bit. We said it in the intro as well. You're not going to have it what it was last year because last year was just so special. But um, I, I'm all for this event. I love it. I love it. And I, I, I hope it continues. And as long as we keep getting the the, the top players, it, it's going to continue to be a great event. Yeah, I think so. The question is going to be, can they, are they going to have fields that are comparable to this year or are they going to be able to get those stars back? And it's always going to depend at least partially on dates, uh, uh, how close it is. Uh, I, I, I'm not actually certain they put the date out, but I'm not certain when the date, it sounds like similar time frame though for next year, which means that if it's that be is in Berlin, right, it's going to be in Berlin. Berlin. Right. So again, that's tricky. You know, how many guys are going to want to do it? They'll sometimes sacrifice for Davis Cup. Djokovic went over for Davis Cup this year the, immediately after the Open, but it's very hard to – and Carlos had done that last year, by the way. This time, he didn't go back to even play Davis Cup. So right. you see what, what they're up against with their schedules. And Roger Roger knows that better than anybody because there's no reason that he shouldn't hope for the best. Right. I, I agree. Um, so next year, Berlin, we'll see what happens with the event. Um, Team World now on a two-year – Winning streak. They lost the first four, um, but they got two in a row. So we'll see what happens next year. All right, let's move on to Guadalajara and uh, two players that um, I've followed closely. I, I, I've I've talked about Maria Sakari numerous episodes uh, on this podcast. We've known um, since 2021 when she got to the semis of two slams, the struggles that she has had um, since that time, especially in the slams, it's been real poor results. Um, that's not being critical. It's just being factual. And she would admit that, that her results in the slams have not been good. Um, she wins, she wins a thousand level event again to me. Um, and, and we've talked about this before. I just, I, I don't think there should be thousand level events after the last slam. Um, here you have Caroline Dolhide who has had success in doubles. She's made uh, the semis and doubles of Wimbledon and US Open. She's hovered around the 100 ranking in singles. Big game, physical big game, likes to dic dictate with the forehand. She committed to UCLA. Her sister actually played UCLA, but she committed to UCLA. She didn't play. Um, she decided to turn pro. Good looking player. Again, likes to dictate with that forehand. Had an incredible week. She's now 100. She was 111 going into Guadalajara. She'll now be top 50. Um, again, kudos to her. That's huge. You look at the draw. And the draw is not your typical 1,000-level draw. And we say that a lot in the fall, right? You look at a draw like Indian Wells or Miami, you got almost every top player playing there. Um, great, great move for Caroline. And this is going to help her get into a lot of other tournaments now, direct entry. Um, I, I don't know. I just have a problem with the 1,000-level. We, we all remember the 2017 Paris Masters where someone went from 25 to eight, got into the world finals. Then you saw what happened after that. Um, yeah, that may be the exception to the rule, but I think, I don't know. There's probably legalities and why you can't do it, Steve. But if I, if it was a perfect world for me, I would freeze the rankings and you pick a number at 20 or 30. Let's just say 30. 
And those top 30 players are done after the slam. Then rankings 31 through 200, 300, whatever. They can play for dollars and ranking points, knowing you can never leapfrog to wherever you froze the rankings at, let's say, 30. Now, again, these are all independent contractors. They're not employees of teams. So, like, it's it's not like they're getting paid by their team and they have an offseason. Like, I, I, I'm sure there's legalities of restricting work. I haven't looked into it that much, but it just seems a little goofy to me um, with huge slides and ranking points after the slam. Well, the, the reason I think they do it, David, that they're trying to keep the races for number one alive. They, they really want to keep the top players motivated to end the season strong. It doesn't always work. For instance, Djokovic this year, I mean, if he really wanted to battle Carlos out for the number one ranking, which has been an exciting battle all year long between the two, he'd be playing more than he's planning to right now. But he's probably not going to come back, at least as it appears now, until that Paris 1000 for the men, which means that Carlos will have two or three events to close the gap and maybe pass Novak in that period. Well, if Novak, you know, again, so it doesn't always work, but often it does in the sense of keeping them motivated and keeping, you know, large amount of points available to the players. Same with the women, so that their interest level remains very high. Motivationally, they're still driven to succeed at the end of the year. I, I get think the sport saying. is so physical now. I just think it it's is. so physical now that these top players have gone and they played a lot of matches that maybe the guy, the the men and women that are 31 and, and higher, they haven't got as many matches in as far as going deep into draws. This may give them an opportunity to do that. Again, there's yeah. there's probably legalities why this won't work. I, I get that. Well, yeah, legalities, but it's also just the nature of the, stru- the structure of the tour. You remember 2016, it came down to Murray versus Djokovic in the final of the year-end championships with the number one ranking literally on the line. The winner of that match was going to finish the year number one. Those why can't are- they do that three weeks after the last slam? Well, that I wouldn't mind that, to tell you the truth. But that's, you know, the, the season is too long. I mean, the women cut back and then they seem to have added again. So it's, yeah, no, I would prefer to have the season over for everybody by, by the end of October. Uh, and, but that's not the case right now. But I'm saying that's, that's the, I'm just trying to present the, the positive side of it. Because I think of a lot of year-end, especially for the men, I think of it a lot, and, and quite a few women's as well. Some really excellent year-end championships where everybody is still pushing hard to end the year, either make sure they end the year number one or get as high as they can in the top five to carry them in with momentum into the next year. But you're no no question that the seasons are too long. And then it becomes incumbent on the players to make sure they 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 don't get carried away and they pull out of events that they just shouldn't play for the sake of preserving themselves long term. And the smart ones do that. And please note that I'm not picking on any of the thousands. Steve, you know this, but I just for the yeah. listeners, I'm not yeah. picking on any of the events, the thousand level events that are after the slam. It could be any, any, it's just the schedule is the schedule. If Indian yeah. Wells of Miami was after the fall, I'd have the same, I was yeah. in the fall, I'd have the same opinion. I'm not like attacking any event that's on the schedule now. I'm just saying conceptually, I think you should get rid of the thousands after the, after the last slam. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I get you. I hear you. But I don't think it'll I don't think it will happen because I think they're, they're going to always feel the need to keep that last chunk of the year, you know, incentive wise high. But the, the, the point I most agree on is the shorter season. And we've we've all been talking about that forever because they right. don't get time off before the 
suddenly it's Christmas and they're having to head down under to Australia for the first major of the year and try to get a warm-up tournament in. So it's a little bit crazy that way. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, look, Steve, we, we've gotten through the slams. We've gotten through Labor Cup. We just saw a really positive result from Maria Sakri, who's been dying for a good result lately. Um, hopefully this gives her a boost for the rest of the year, hopefully into 2024. Um, well, David, David, a quick word, just if I may. It was a good effort from Sakari in that final, though, because she was up 4-2 in the first set and lost the next three games. Yeah. You had this terrible feeling that she was going to lose her seventh final in a row, and she hadn't won a final since 19, and it was like, oh, no, no, not again. Nothing nothing against Carolyn, who had a great tournament, and if she'd won it, she would have deserved it. But I think Sakari needed this tournament more than Carolyn did, and I was happy for her that she, she conquered her nerves, pulled out the first set, and won it in straight sets. And so that was for her, because she you talk about how she knows she's performed badly in the slams. But she also knows that she hasn't been able to give her best effort always in these finals and that she's been criticized a lot for it. And she, now that she's had a chance to kind of silence her critics and regain her confidence, and that, that was a good thing. And, you know, she mentioned um, Coco's acceptance speech during Maria's acceptance speech. How she, she, she enjoyed hearing Coco saying, look, I read Twitter. I read the, the haters, and, and that inspires me. It puts more, you know, fuel to the fire type of thing. And Maria's kind of taken that same approach with it. And it was interesting um, to let her hear that. And, and um, I mean, you, you get a lot of abuse, any professional athlete, any, any public figure, I won't just say athlete, any public figure now just with so much access, people tweeting, whatever the heck they want. Um, there's so much criticism out there. It's nice to hear some of them say, you know what, we read what you crazy people type. And you know what? Sometimes we could actually use that as fuel instead of, you know, putting it down. Because, I mean, my, mentally, that's a big mental health problem right now for these athletes to read this stuff after tough, tough losses. Um, and it was refreshing to hear Coco and Maria um, share that perspective. Yeah, it would be nice to see a lot of the athletes. And I know why they don't. But boy, would I love to see some of them take a vacation from social media to say, I'm not going on it for a month. I'm not even going to look at why I don't care what's on there and I'm not posting anything and I'm going to bring some, I'm going to get some peace of mind. I think some, uh, some in the, in the press and some players really do lay low on it. But uh, I think in today's society, it's, it's challenging to do that. But, but to your point, Steve, I think there are a few that really just stay off it and ignore it. But, um, but yeah, the majority are, are, are on it and it's, it's, it's pretty disgusting. Um what you see and and read on on these uh, social media channels at times, but um, kudos to Maria, kudos to Caroline, um, kudos Team World. What else? Are we good? No, I think we're good. I think it was it was a fun week, and and uh, I as I say, I enjoyed those matches more than I had anticipated, and now I'm looking forward to you know the, the all the ATP tour and WTA events coming up. But that was a that was a nice, a nice to see that after kind of laying low in my case, and I think you too, for a week after the Open, just then come back nearly two weeks later and see some good tennis. Yeah, this was a fun week. This was really a fun week. Thanks for your time, Steve. I enjoyed this. Okay, thank you, David. <laughs> <laughs>